great sacrifice was made for our freedom. We commemorate that and celebrate that really all year round, but especially this time of the year, Easter season. And church, what a great opportunity for each one of us to invite someone to come to church with us. Again, we're having a wonderful Palm Sunday in the park, one service at 9 o'clock, followed by an egg hunt. Invite someone. Invite a family that has children. They'll love it. They'll love it. Good Friday concert. People love to hear music. We are a musical society, aren't we? Tell them we're going to have an amazing concert, and it will be. It's called Savior. You can pick up postcards today and go and distribute these to your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, and let's really pack this place out. We're going to have a concert on Good Friday and communion. And then, of course, Easter. Um, People are more apt to come on either Christmas Sunday or Easter Sunday than any other Sunday of the year. So if you'll do your part, I know God will do his part. And let's believe for lives to be changed this Easter season. Amen? Amen. Well, Dad, I've had a really, really great time these last almost three weeks. I got Dad for almost three weeks this trip. And um, I've just enjoyed hanging out with you. I really have. You're a great inspiration to so many people, but mostly you are to me. And um, I would just like to say publicly how much I love you and how, how thankful I am for your witness and your steady, constant testimony of just living life for, for, for the Lord. And I thank you for believing those many years ago, you made a decision to believe in Christ. And because of your belief, I believe. And my children believe. And so I want to declare today that I still believe. I still believe. So 
today. I believe that the cross is the place where we will find the Savior. Dad said, you got to sing before I go home. He said, I don't know what you're going to sing, but you're going to sing something before I go home. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Really, I feel like that was a word for us today, church. I know if you've been here a while, you've heard me sing that a time or two, but I felt like God wanted wanted that to be sung today. Dan, aren't you glad there's still forgiveness? Hallelujah. There's still forgiveness that flows from the cross. It hasn't gone out of style. It's not passe after all. So I cling to the old rugged cross. I cling to the old rugged cross. On a hill far away. Stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Don't you love that old cross today? I wonder if we could just lift our hands one more time. I just feel such a spirit of God in this room. The Holy Spirit is here. Come on and just bless him today. Just worship him today. Just thank him today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for your cross, Jesus. Thank you for your cross. The cross made the difference for me. The cross made the difference for me. I was just wandering along, walking life and leading my life how I wanted to. Hurt and wounded. Wondering how God could do what he did to me or at least how he could allow what happened to me. How he could allow that to happen to me. But I came to a crossroad. <laughs> I came to a cross in the road. And the cross made the difference for me. 
I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a so I'll cherish, come on everybody, the old rugged cross. Till my trophies, till my trophies at last die. Going a little old school, but that's all right. I will cling to the old. And exchange it someday for us. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm ready to get into God's word, but I, I just want to say congratulations to Jamie for turning 29. Her birthday's tomorrow, and she's turning 29 for the fourth time. She's going to be 33. She, she embraces that. She's proud of that. But I want to say, Jamie, how much we love you and how thankful we are that God sent you. Moses is okay, but I'm telling you, you're the Jew. You're the real jewel, and he, he'll echo that with me. I know that. So let's just sing and, and bless Jamie. Happy birthday. tomorrow. However, you don't get the day off. You have to be here to work. All right. <laughs> they actually have other plans on another day, so amen. One more thing. We are going to remodel our sanctuary, folks, and I am so excited. I hope you feel the excitement that's going on in this place. I'm telling you, God is up to something great. God is up to something awesome and wonderful, and I, for one, want to be a part of what God is doing. Amen? And so Karen and I are investing in this house. We have committed to give to the cause. I want you to do the same. You can pick up this sanctuary remodel. You can count on me card. They'll be out in the foyer on the welcome desk. Stop by if you've not gotten one or if you've not turned one in yet. Please do that as quickly as possible. This will let me know how we're doing in our target. This is about a $350,000 job, everyone. And we're trying to raise at least $100 to $150. And I'm believing that God is going to speak to someone and they're going to give a significant gift of $30,000 to $50,000. I say that because you might be here today. I don't know. But I feel this in my spirit, and so we're just believing God for miracles, aren't we? And the good news is today, God is still in the miracle-working business. Come on and give him praise one more time. Amen. You know, water has been described as the world's most valuable resource. 
Let me give you some statistics as you open your notebook to take some notes today and get your pen out. Let me give you some statistics on water. The earth contains around 326 million cubic miles of water. Perhaps that's why they're having so much trouble tracking down some debris from this airplane that just mysteriously vanished. There's so much water covering the face of the earth. In fact, almost three-fourths of the earth's surface is covered by water. Water makes up almost two-thirds of the human body. That's astounding. You're just a lot of water. Did you know that? You ever tell somebody it's just water weight? Well, you can honestly say it's water weight. Listen to this. The body needs about two and a half quarts of water per day to function properly. So if your body is not functioning properly, it may be as simple as drink more water. I said a few things, almost got me kicked out of the church, but I'm going to repeat them. Maybe you need to put down the Dr. Pepper and drink a, a water instead. Maybe less coffee and more water. If you want your body to function properly, we need more water. We really do. The average human will consume 16,000 gallons of water in their lifetime. 16,000. That's a lot of trips to the restroom, isn't it? <laughs> the body can survive 40 days without food. But how many days do you think we could survive without water? Somebody said three? A hundred? That's a lot of days, Joe. It is, it is, most, most say it's about five days, around five days without water. That's just how valuable a resource water is. One of the greatest scientific breakthroughs came when doctors learned how to rehydrate the body with IV fluids. And if you've ever landed for an extended period of time in the hospital, you're probably very thankful for the fluids, the IV fluids that were put back into your body. Considering that water is so essential in the physical realm, it should come as no surprise that water is equally as important in the spiritual realm. How many have your Bibles with you today? I want you to come to God's house with the Word of God. This is a classroom now. And so we're going to learn. We're going to learn what God's Word has to say. There's really no excuse. You can bring a tablet. I, I'm preaching from my iPad, my tablet. You can have it on your phone. Jamie read the Word of God from her phone. And if you uh, are just a little bit old-fashioned, you can bring the leather-bound edition. It still, it still preaches real well. There's still good, good stuff in the leather-bound edition. I like the leather-bound edition on Sunday mornings. But bring your Bible, bring a notebook, bring a pen or pencil where you could jot down a few things. John chapter 19, everyone. Open your Bible to John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put on hyssop and put it to his mouth. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you give us insight today. Reveal things that have been hidden, God. And Jesus, as we study this fifth word that you spoke as you hung on the cross, may we see you in a new light. May we hear you. May we know you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on and say amen. We're studying the last words that Christ spoke as he hung on the, on the cross. And the fifth word that he spoke is summed up in this word. Suffering. Say suffering. It's good to have the kids in the house with us today. This is the fifth Sunday. I love it. I, I really do. Uh, and so on the fifth Sunday, we're gathering the, the, the children in with us, and we're calling this just a family, a family service. So, uh, yeah, welcome, kiddos. Nice to have you here today. Say it again. Say suffering. suffering. The fifth word is suffering. And as we study his last words, we see Jesus in a new light. What do we see of Jesus as he speaks this fifth word? We see, first of all, a scriptural Christ. Number one, we see a scriptural Christ. Bring back verse 28 for me, please. After this, John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said this, I thirst. As Jesus spoke these words, I thirst, he was fulfilling scripture. The scripture that references this the scripture that prophesied this is found in Psalm 69. There are actually two scriptures that refer to Jesus crying out and saying, I, I thirst. And where Jesus wanted something to drink. The first one is Psalm 69 and verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink vinegar or sour wine. These are, these are interchangeable terms when we're speaking of this passage of Scripture and this moment on the cross. John's version says that Jesus said, I thirst. Some of the other gospel writers only refer to the soldiers giving Jesus something to drink, but Jesus not actually saying, I thirst. So we take all of the gospel accounts into consideration to surmise what was going on in this moment in the fifth word that Jesus spoke Psalm 69 21 also we see it in Psalm 22 and verse 15 my strength is dried up like a potsherd my tongue clings to my jaws you have brought me to the dust of death both of these scriptures in Psalm are prophecies concerning Jesus dying on the cross. As Jesus speaks the words, I thirst, 
we see a scriptural Christ. And what I mean here is Christ came to fulfill scripture. This is actually part of his assignment. This is part of God sending his son. For God so loved the world that he gave or sent his only son. He did that in love because God loves us. But part of Jesus' assignment was he had to fulfill scripture. Why did he have to fulfill scripture? I believe that Christ had to fulfill the scripture because this is the evidence that we need today to convince people that Jesus is the one to follow. Because there's lots of options as to who or whom one could follow. There are thousands of options and thousands of religions. Why do we try and convince people that Jesus Christ is the only one? Come on, somebody, say the only one. He's the only one that should be followed. He had to fulfill the scriptures so that we would have the evidence that we need today, the proof that we need today to convincingly tell people Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the one worth following. Jesus came to fulfill scripture part of his assignment, part of his mission. Let me highlight just a few other scriptures that point to Christ and Christ coming and thus fulfilling the scriptures, fulfilling the prophecies. For instance, he fulfilled prophecy in the place of his birth. We find this prophesied by the prophet Micah. Micah 5 Two prophesied this, the place of Jesus' birth. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And of course, we know today that Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem. Check that prophecy off the list. Done, fulfilled, over. He also fulfilled prophecy in the manner of his birth. Uh, excuse me, the time of his birth. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Thank you. Are you all liking this screen? Is it helping you with notes? I hope so. It just helped me keep on my path here, right? It helped me keep on my outline, right? The timing of his birth. We find this in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. This is a prophecy concerning the timing of his birth, and it was, in fact, fulfilled. Check it off the list. Done. Completed. Move on. The manner of his birth was prophesied. Isaiah, the great, great prophet. I love the book of Isaiah. I like this guy. I want to shake his hand and meet him. He's one of my favorite in the word of God. I really, really like Isaiah. He prophesied this in chapter 7 and verse number 14. The, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
We're talking about the manner of his birth. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Does anybody know who Jesus' mommy was? Mary. She's known as the Virgin Mary. Now, we don't believe that we ought to pray to her. We believe that we should pray to Jesus. But she was a very, very potent and powerful player in the fulfillment of Scripture because the manner of his birth was prophesied and it came to pass. Check, done, moving on. Not only the manner of his birth also was prophesied, the manner of his death. Psalm 22, 16, dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me, and watch this, they pierced my hands and my feet. And we will commemorate and even celebrate this tragic end to the Messiah. He had an earthly end so that we can have an eternal unending. And they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet. It was prophesied in Psalms and it was accomplished on the cross. These are just a handful of the predictions, the prophecies concerning Jesus. There are actually 332. I want you to write this number down. 332 prophecies concerning Jesus. Floyd Hamilton, in his book, The Basis of the Christian Faith, he writes this. There are in the Old Testament 332 distinct predictions which were literally fulfilled in Christ. What are the odds of this? I'm so glad you asked. I was wondering myself, what are the odds of 332 prophecies and predictions all coming to pass in one person? Peter Stoner, he's a professor, probably lives in Colorado. I'm so sorry. I. Mm. I thought better to say it, and I didn't say it in the first service, but there it just slipped right out of me. Professor Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, he demonstrates how coincidence is ruled out by the science of probability. Stoner says that by using the science of prob probability in reference to only eight, get this, only eight Old Testament prophecies, we find that the probability that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled just eight of the 332 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah is, are you ready for this, one in 100 quadrillion. You want to know what that looks like? It's a one with 17 zeros behind it. What are the odds of any one man fulfilling all of the 332? Actually, this is just saying eight out of 332. Not even the whole 332, just eight. What are the odds of, of any one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies? It's one in 100 quadrillion. 
I didn't even know there was such a number. Let, let, me, let me break it down for you like this. Let's say we had a hundred quadrillion silver dollars. How many would like a hundred quadrillion silver dollars? I go cash those in right now. Let's say we have a hundred quadrillion silver dollars. They would cover the state of Texas. Texas? Any Texans out there? All the Texans said yeehaw. All right. A hundred quadrillion silver dollars would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, mark just one of the 100 quadrillion silver dollars. Just mark one and mix it thoroughly in all of the 100 quadrillion. Now take a blindfolded man and send him into Texas and tell him you can go anywhere in Texas that you want, but you must retrieve the one marked silver dollar out of 100 quadrillion. The same odds that the prophets would have had at, of writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true in one person, one in 100 quadrillion. But Jesus didn't just fulfill eight of the prophecies. That's just talking about eight. He fulfilled 332 of the prophecies that were predicted concerning him. He fulfilled scripture because it was his mission. He fulfilled scripture because it was his love. Jesus loved scripture, didn't he? Everywhere he went, he's teaching the people the scripture. God's word, it is written. He even fought the punk devil with the word of God, didn't he? The devil tried to tempt Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He fought the devil, and how did he do it? He did it with the word of God, and he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. When you find the devil coming and tempting you and tormenting you, get your Bible out and tell the devil, it is written, and you will also defeat the devil. I'm going to break my pulpit here today, so sorry. Why did Jesus fulfill Scripture, part of his mission, part of his love? He fulfilled Scripture because it's part of his DNA. It's just part of who he is. It's part of who he was. John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what? The Word was God. And then it goes on in verse number 14. Can you bring that one up? I like that one. Verse number 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Aren't you thankful that as Jesus spoke those words on the cross, I thirst, we saw a scriptural Christ coming and fulfilling what He was sent to do. What do we see of Jesus hanging on the cross, speaking the last hour of his life, speaking a few more words? What do we see? What do we hear? 
We see a scriptural Christ, but we also see a suffering carpenter. The fifth word may give us the best balance of Jesus. We see the divinity of the Christ and the humanity of the carpenter. Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors. He's just so good. This particular book is called No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. If you have the time, perhaps you could get this. You could get it on Amazon. Read this before Easter arrives. Chapter 7 focuses on this very this very phrase and these words that Jesus spoke. Max Lucado gives us three snapshots of the humanity of Jesus. The first one, I'm tired. I'm tired, he sighed. So he stopped. You go on and, and get the food. I'll rest here. He was tired, bone tired. His feet were hurting. His face was hot. The noon sun was sizzling. He wanted to rest. So he stopped at the well, waved on his disciples, stretched a bit, and sat down. But before he could close his eyes, here came a Samaritan woman. She was alone. Maybe it was the bags under her eyes or the way she stooped that, make, that made him forget how weary he was. How strange that she should be here at midday. The second snapshot of Jesus' humanity, I'm sleepy. He stretched. He yawned. It had been a long day. The crowd had been large. So large that preaching on the beach had proved to be an occupational hazard. So he taught from the bow of a fishing boat. And now night had fallen and Jesus, well, he was sleepy. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to catch a few winks. So he did. On a cloud-covered night on the Sea of Galilee, God went to sleep. Someone rustled him up a pillow and he went to the boat's driest point and sacked out. So deep was his sleep, the thunder did not wake him, nor did the tossing of the boat, nor did the salty spray of the storm-blown waves. Only the screams of some breathless disciples could penetrate his slumber. The third snapshot of Jesus' humanity, I'm angry. He didn't have to say it. You could see it in his eyes, face red, blood vessels bulging, fist clenched. I ain't taking this no more. And what was a temple became a one-sided barroom brawl. What was a normal day at the market became a one-man riot. And what was a smile on the face of God became a scowl. Get out of here. The only thing that flew higher than the tables were the doves flapping their way to freedom. An angry Messiah made his point. Don't go making money off religion or God will make hay of you. 
we're indebted to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for choosing to include these tidbits of humanity. They didn't have to. They didn't have to, you know, but they did. And at just the right times, just as his divinity is becoming unapproachable, just when his holiness is becoming untouchable, just when his perfection becomes immutable, the phone rings and a voice whispers, he was human. Don't forget, he had flesh. Just at the right time, we are reminded that the one to whom we, we pray knows our feelings. He knows temptation. He has felt discouraged. He's been hungry, sleepy, tired. He knows what we feel like when the alarm clock goes off. He knows what we feel like when our children want different things at the same time. He nods in understanding when we pray in anger. He's touched when we tell him there's more to do than can ever be done. He smiles when we confess our weariness. But we are most indebted to John for choosing to include verse 28 of chapter 19. It reads simply, I'm thirsty. That's not the Christ that's thirsty. That's the carpenter. And those are words of humanity in the midst of divinity. This phrase messes up your sermon outline. <laughs> the other six statements are more in character. They are cries we would expect. Forgiving sinners, promising paradise, caring for his mother. Even the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is one of power, but I thirst. Just when we had it all figured out, just when the cross was all packaged and defined, just when the manuscript was finished, just when we had invented all those nice, clean, Asian words like sanctification, justification, propitiation, and purification, just when we put our big golden cross on our big golden steeple, he reminds us that the Word became flesh. What do we see of Jesus hanging on this cross saying, I I'm thirsty? We see a suffering carpenter. And his suffering was real. He suffered from real thirst. The most immediate need of the human body next to oxygen is water. How many are thirsty with me talking about water so much? Oh, I gotta get something to drink. Is there any more water down there? Somebody took my water. Oh, here, I brought it up with me. That wasn't very nice either. When being crucified, one of the worst pains, they say, was the need for water. Historians say it was agonizing. As the victims hung on the cross, their mouths and their throats would cry out for water. Their lips cracked, their lips bled, their eyes glazed over, their tongue swelled in their mouth. It was horrific. An agonizing part of the crucifixion. Now, keep in mind, 
that it very well may be that it was 18 hours since Jesus had anything to drink. It could have been the Last Supper, the Passover feast. Jesus has all the boys around the table and they're, they're breaking bread and they're drinking. And then he's taken by the guards. Keep in mind also that he's losing valuable body fluid. In the garden, the Bible tells us that he sweat and it was so intense that it was like drops of blood. That's intense sweating right there. He's losing valuable body fluid. But he did bleed beyond that. He bled profusely. The scourging, the beating, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and his feet, all of it causing him to bleed and lose precious and valuable body fluid. Now he is at the last hour of his life on earth and he is dying on the cross dehydrated and literally dying of thirst part of what Jesus died he died of thirst it was real thirst but it was also real humiliation I'm talking to you about a suffering carpenter, the humanity of Christ, the humanity of Jesus. He suffered from real thirst. He suffered from real humiliation. Most of you know that I stepped out of my comfort zone and I, I, I started a master's program a couple of years ago. And I'm pursuing my master's in practical theology, Pastor Jim and I decided together that we would do this and we are about to finish our second year. Um, our, our papers are due April 15th. We have two papers due and that will complete our second year. So please pray for us. We want to finish strong as Butler and Elliot wrote that great song, finish strong. We want to finish strong. Last September we had to go to get our, our schooling and so this past September, when we were in Mattersea uh, at, the, at the school there, we had a break one weekend. And so we decided to go to York. York is about an hour, an hour and a half drive from, from the college. And so uh, we arrive in York, and they park the bus, and then uh, uh, or we parked our car, and you have to get on a bus to actually go into the city because the city, the heart of the city, is walled. It is a walled city, and the, the walls are, are ancient. They were walled when Rome captured, uh, and Rome was the dominating government and, and culture of, of the era, and it had captured this part of England, and so they built walls around to protect their, their new city. So we got to actually walk up on the walls and, and just see all of, of the amazing parts of the city. But they, they said to us, you have to go and see the Roman bathhouse. And so we make our way to this portion of the city and we find this Roman bathhouse. Could you bring up that one, that first picture? Now, you'll see Pizza Hut there. That's not the Roman bathhouse. <laughs> Pizza Hut is here. 
And the Roman bathhouse is right here, folks. Okay? Yeah. This is actually an old tavern. It is a current tavern. It's a bar. But in the 1920s, this bar caught on fire. And as they were renovating, they said, well, we need more room. But they're landlocked on either side. So they said, why don't we dig down and, and we'll create a basement or a cellar and we'll get more room that way. And so as they began to dig down to get more room for their tavern, they unearthed an ancient Roman bathhouse. It was the most fascinating tour. It was the highlight of the whole trip to England this past time for me. I think for Pastor Jim, too. It was just amazing. Uh, I have a couple pictures of what we saw. There, there's a, a glass here, so it's a little bit of a glare. But you can see... Uh, just a portion of the of the bathhouse. They would they would have a a, a heated portion, uh, like a sauna room. They would have a uh, a gaming room. You could go and you could go and, and challenge people in games. And it was like a, a, a state of the art spa. And probably even ahead of some of what we do today. Truth be told. So they would, have a, they would have a massage room. You could go and get a massage. They had a heated area, sauna area. They had a, a refrigerated area. You could go and get cooled down. They had a swimming pool. Uh, just, it was amazing. So we're just looking. And then the next picture, more, more of the same. They would, they would have the water come through. It was just state of the art. Really amazing. So we turned this corner. And we came upon this sign. And it said that the Romans invented toilet paper. <laughs> Bring up this sign, Roman toilets. Said that the Romans invented toilet paper. I want you to bring that back down now for a minute. And Pastor Dave, I want you and Pastor Creighton to, to set this up or whoever you have uh, helping you. Elliot, thank you. I need five men who will volunteer very quickly. Five men, if you would come. Quickly, quickly, five men. Are you volunteering? One, two, three, four. Chris, come on and help me. Mike, I think that's five. So just uh, find a seat here. Get those chairs side by side, please. We got five? Mike? So welcome to the Roman bathroom. <laughs> now, church, I want you to hang with me for a moment. This is going to be a little graphic, but it's on purpose. And I'm trying to get somewhere. Because I had a revelation from the Lord. I'm telling you, it was a revelation moment for me that I'll never forget as long as I live. And I want you to get it, too. We're just touring this, this Roman bathhouse, the, the ruins of this Roman bathhouse, trying to get a glimpse. And, and this bathhouse was in the time that the book of Romans was written when Paul was alive. That is the era. A.D. 60. A.D. 70, right around there. And they were at the height of empire. They were the world leader. 
and people were looking to them on how to do things. So it said that the bathroom portion of the bathhouse was a community center of sorts. So they're actually sitting on toilets. Okay, guys? You're all right. No dividers. No dividers. No, 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 no. Because this was the, the opportunity for the Roman soldiers to catch up on the day. How'd your day go? How many people did you beat up or throw in prison or, you know, so they're just catching up on the family or whatever. And they're doing their business. Okay? Then it said that the Romans invented toilet paper. So here it is. The Romans invented toilet paper. And the toilet paper was a sponge on the end of a stick. Now, if they were higher up in the rank, they would have their own sponge and their own stick. But if you were a lowly private, you had to share a sponge. Sorry, Victor. I think you're safe. So we've got some sponges here, guys. You don't get your own sponge, sorry. You two are going to have to share, too, sorry. So, I'm going to let your mind do the imagination here and, and imagine they had to clean themselves, okay? Now, when they're done, guys, kick your feet out to the edge of the, the stage here. They had a trough that ran underneath their feet right in front of the toilets. There was a trough of water that would run, and they, they had running water going through that. And so, when they were finished, they would take their sponge and rinse it out in the trough, okay, fair enough. Then they had next to them or in front of them, they would have buckets or pot, uh, clay pots perhaps, and they would have sour wine or vinegar to disinfect their sponge. And so they would put their sponges into the vinegar or the sour wine. Thank you, guys. We appreciate your help. I want you to bring up this. I want you to bring up this last picture again, please. It says Roman soldiers were a convivial lot when they needed to use the toilet. They liked to sit together in a row and chat. They did not use toilet paper, but invented the sponge on a stick. Sometimes they had their own, but often they had to use the communal one. After using, after use, they washed it in the trough. You threw me off there. Thank you. They washed it in the trough of running water in front of them and then put it in a jar of disinfecting vinegar or sour wine. And here was the aha moment for me. I thought of Jesus saying, I thirst. 
Now, John's gospel says that Jesus said, I thirst. But look at Luke's gospel. Bring that up. Luke 23, 36. Please jot this down. You have to go and really absorb this later. Luke's version says the soldiers were mocking him and offering him sour wine. So they spear into the toilet water. Could it be that this is the most degrading and the most humiliating thing the soldiers could have done to Jesus? And then they bring it up. Because the Bible also says that when he tasted it, he wouldn't take it. He wouldn't drink it. I, I, I've never heard this preached. But when I saw it, this, bring back the, the sign, the Romans toilet paper. Bring that back up. This isn't a Christian museum. This is a bar that happened to unearth a Roman bathhouse. And they're just saying, matter-of-factly, the Romans invented toilet paper. And they had a sponge on a stick there, didn't they, Pastor Jim? I mean, we were just blown away. I called Karen. I said, Karen, I, I've never seen this. I've never heard this. But I think I know what they were doing that day when they were trying to give Jesus something to drink. I want you to think about this. We're talking about the suffering today. <laughs> we think we suffer, don't we? And we do. But it's nothing compared to the suffering of Christ. Because he wasn't just Christ. He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. We see a carpenter suffering like few other humans will ever suffer. What do we see of Jesus hanging on the cross? I have to wrap this up. We see sympathy coming from him. A sympathetic counselor. Because remember, Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I think the best counselor... At least for me, if I'm going to go to a counselor, I want a counselor who can relate to what I'm going through. That's the best, I think. That's Jesus. Jesus can relate to any scenario, any situation that you're going through. And so he can offer sympathy to us. After all, he was tempted just like we are. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Look at this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Verse 16 says, Let us, there come, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Aren't you glad that you can boldly go to the throne of grace and ask for mercy? He was tempted just like we are, and so he can sympathize when we are being tempted. He suffered just as we will. If you think being a Christian means the end of suffering, I, I've got news for you today. It does not, does it? 
we will suffer. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, there's the easy part, really, but also to suffer. Suffer for his name's sake. In Romans 8.17, If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. This fifth word, I want you to say it again. The fifth word is suffering. What have we seen of Jesus in this fifth word? We've seen a scriptural Christ, a suffering carpenter. We've seen a sympathetic counselor. I want you to bow your heads today. If you're suffering, come to Jesus. He understands better than anyone else does. If you're suffering, come to Jesus. He's able to help you more than anyone else can. If you are here today and you are suffering, I want you to stand right where you are. We're going to pray for you. This could be a physical suffering. It could be emotional, perhaps even financial suffering, relational suffering. Someone that you really care for yet is disconnected from you, bringing you suffering. Whatever it is, I want you to respond today because Jesus understands. Jesus is able to help you. Quickly stand up on your feet if you're suffering and you would like prayer today. He's able. Pastor Moses, I want you to sing this chorus and let the people respond to this call. You stood before creation. You're suffering today, just respond. He understands and he is able. Father, I pray for every man and every woman who is standing at this time. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them the hope that they need that you would bring them the help that they need. God, we are just walking through this life trying to do our best, but we fall sometimes. We're ambushed sometimes, and we suffer. But you know suffering better than anyone. And you conquered the grave, and you were triumphant over death. 
And I pray that even now, Lord, you would comfort those who are suffering in the name of Jesus. So what can I say? Dominican Republic 
missions teams. So that's right over here. Uh, you are dismissed. Have a great week.